0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 414 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Hi, everyone. Glenn the Geek here. Recent Philipper off this week and we'll be back next week. Jen, Jamie and I, along with a lot of the listeners, are at Rolex right now. And if you are here in Lexington, we want to meet you. After this word about the meetups at Rolex, we'll have a best of for you from July of 2015. Recent Philip preview their trip to the Pan Am Games. Hillary Moore Hebert had some tips from a Dressage Today magazine. And Justin from Total Saddle Fit stopped by to answer a host of listener questions. Enjoy and see you at the Kentucky Horse Park. <laughs> The Rolex three-day event is right around the corner. And for the ninth year, the Horse Radio Network will once again be providing coverage from Rolex. Thanks to our sponsors, Weatherbeta and Accusweed, We will be bringing you two special episodes of Horses in the Morning from Rolex with the whole crew on hand. Jamie, Jen, and I will be there. I know, it's a tough assignment. We will put together a show on Friday and Sunday morning on the Horses in the Morning feed. Also, we are having a couple of listener meetups one Friday night. Night at the Grey Goose in Midway, a few exits from the horse park at 7 30. Cross country day, we will meet a half an hour before the start of cross country at jump number one. That's become tradition. And then at 2 p.m. at the Horse Nation or Eventing Nation tailgate for trivia and prizes. We will announce that on Facebook before the event. We don't know where they'll be. Follow all the details by searching Facebook for HRN at Rolex and you'll find our event page. Weatherbeta's Spring Turnout Blanket Collection features the latest in their Comfortech range. Not sure which turnout fits your horse's needs? Check out Weatherbeta's Blanket ID tool at weatherbeta.com. Also find Weatherbeta products at Rolex at bit of Britain, horse lovers, and one-stop equine shop. Does your horse have tight, sore muscles? Does he take a long time to loosen up in a ride? Is your horse in pain and recovering from competition or injury? Use Mat and see the results in as little as 15 minutes. Find AccuSuite and the Mat at booth 218 in the Rolex Trade Fair on the upper level next to the concessions.
1: They had been together for years, since he was just a colt. When he got stubborn, she would gently coax him on. When he got scared, she would reassure him and stroke him gently on the neck. She spent hours building his confidence, his strength, his balance, teaching him to dance. Pirouette, passage, piaf, the final salute. The crowd jumped to its feet and cheered. It was the moment that had spent a lifetime training for but all she could think about was how special he was and how she loved him. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra, providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today.
2: This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky.
3: And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show with Coach Jen. You might as well say hi, producing for us tonight.
2: Hello. Hi, Coach Jen. <laughs> hi. Glad you came on tonight. We, we had an emergency call to you. <laughs> emergency both, weather. Emergency weather. Emergency weather. Both Philip and I are having thunderstorms. And when Ever that happens, for some reason this summer, every night, it doesn't matter what night we record on, I'm going to have a thunderstorm. So that's been happening all summer, and it's been raining here every day. Very helpful for the vegetable garden, not helpful for the radio show. And Philip is having storms tonight, so uh, we hope everyone is safe. Uh, We had a tree go down, actually, Uh, I noticed literally right before I got on the show, and that was really sad. It landed Um, somewhere inconspicuous, I hope. It did. Yeah, it's okay. It's just, it was that pretty one on the side of my barn. And Aww. I was so proud of it. Like, we dug the hole for it. And yeah. So that Aww. was kind of sad. So your to, baby tree? It was kind of my, it was a mid-sized tree, too. Like, it's five years old. And I was like, so well, it was kind of you just bad. stand
4: that one back up. Just back <laughs> the truck up to it. Gun yeah. it. Push that sucker straight up again.
2: It <laughs> well, kind of broke in the middle. That sounds oh, like your plan.
3: Good. Oh, it like it a broke plan. in the
2: middle. That's so good. It broke in the middle. Yeah. yeah. It's done. Not so good. But that's oh. all right.
3: Reece, so, why are we excited this week?
2: We are going to have a great week because we're recording Tuesday night, which is not our normal night because my myself and Dr. Anna Hitchborn Dunlop are heading to Canada on Thursday to visit with Philip and Meredith. So we're so very excited. We're going go to go.
3: And also to go to the Pan Am Games. Pan Am games. Oh, that,
2: that little thing called Versace the Pan, the Pan Am Saturday. Games. <laughs> that little thing called the Pan Am Games. We're going to go there. <laughs> And I'm really I, looking forward to torturing Philip on Friday because I get to go work some horses yeah, we're with Philip.
3: High
2: five, yeah. everybody! I will. Uh, don't worry, I will make make give him a hard lesson, a few extra extended trots in there. So we're gonna yeah, work no some problem. horses. Yeah. No uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry, everybody. There'll be plenty of extra <laughs> extensions. Uh, so super excited to see Philip and Meredith and uh, have a really fun weekend in Canada. So Philip, talk to us a little bit about like. What we're going to see, what are some, we've had some requests um, from listeners to talk a little bit about the venue and a little bit about what to do uh, when you're up there at the games.
3: Well, it depends because um, the venue is, uh, is Caledon Equestrian Park, which is about 45 minutes to an hour from Toronto. So you can, you can go and you can, you can see all the horse stuff without actually going into the city. And that's what I recommend. So, um, because okay, that's is what we're
2: doing, right? Terrible for traffic.
3: Doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't recommend actually if you don't have to to be going into the city. And I don't think that we will. We will because, again, you know, and, and they say in Canada we have two seasons. One is winter, and the other is construction. Oh yeah so, I mean, they're always updating all the highways and stuff. And so now they're updating all the highways and hosting this big games at the same time. And our transit systems are not great at at the best of times. So we're just going to stay out of the city. But if you are already in the city, I mean, you got to go downtown. There's tons of really fun stuff to do. You can go up the CN Tower, which is just a really tall. It's the tallest freestanding building in in the world. Or was for a while. Yeah,
4: no kidding. It's really
3: fun. There's a restaurant on, on top, and you can see everything from there. And then uh, the, some great shopping. You
4: can shopping. see the Pan Am games from there, <laughs>
3: probably. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah, there's an awesome. There's a, there's, a, there's a Ripley's Aquarium down there, right by the. Oh, cool! Right the
2: That's fun. Tower.
3: Yeah, there's there's lots of fun stuff to do, but we're not going to do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna we're gonna do other stuff we're gonna stay outside yeah i
3: mean you can in. go uh, niagara falls is not that far from the city if you're already there and you have a car or you want to rent a car um it's about an hour to niagara falls from toronto so that's that's something i would highly recommend it's they're already fun. set up for a ton of tourists and stuff like that and it's an amazing it's an amazing thing to to visit i don't know yeah it's, that's true you say you were over there I have
2: seen it both actually from the Canadian side and from I saw it from the U.S. side about this time last year uh, when, I, when I was traveling with my leadership group. Um, oh yeah, that, oh, right. gorgeous! Just it is it is really spectacular. Something to see um, if you're up in that direction or, or even heading through. I think is the Canadian. Which side's better to see it from, Philip? I I can't remember.
3: There's well, I have, a, I have a bias. It's Canadian. No, side, I think course.
2: the Canadian side is actually better to see it from. I, I think that's.
4: Yeah. yeah I hear yeah. that a lot from the actually, the, be- yeah, the best types. way to see yeah. it,
3: the Niagara Falls is yeah. to hop on um, one of the boats and they will drive you right up to the base of the falls.
4: No.
2: Yeah. I, I, that's I didn't awesome. do that. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna... it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm There's lots
3: of fun things to do over there in Niagara. Yeah, And, and Toronto is a great city too. It's just, it's just getting from place to place is a little tricky. But if you can get downtown, the restaurants, the nightlife, everything is just awesome. And it is, uh, it's a safe city. You don't have to worry about you know walking around at night and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, I love it. It's home. It's, it's awesome.
2: Well, I'm really excited to see um, the area where you and Meredith live is beautiful. We got to see it when we were up for the yeah, wedding.
3: We're in the country, so yeah, it's and we beautiful. don't beautiful traffic out here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's not much traffic unless it's tractor traffic, which is the same here where we live. Um, but it's beautiful. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And um, uh, last time we were up, we didn't get a chance to um, you know, you guys were busy with the wedding. And so yeah, we awesome. were on our own, which was super fun. But I'm excited to see from you guys' this point of view and to hit Tim Thornton's. I'm just saying, I'm <laughs> excited Hortons. about the coffee. Yeah. And, um, and, and, now- and maybe,
3: Swish, maybe Swish LA if you're lucky.
2: Oh, what is that? I don't even know of such you thing. I don't
3: know about Swish LA. Yeah. No, Travis knows that? about it. He loves it. It's, what is yeah. that? What is it's it? It's is a chicken place. It's just <laughs> well, rotisserie chicken.
2: Oh, that sounds great. Well, I won't get a picture. Famous. Of us at uh, Swiss Chalet and Tim Hortons, getting so some sandy. coffee. Yeah, very, very. It's going to be a really fun weekend, and we'll give some reporting. Uh, of course, next week we'll uh, give a full report on the games and uh, what we were up to for the weekend and who we saw, um, and and some news in the oh, U.S. Rides. Actually, yes, the rides. We'll give a full report on the rides and um, some news from the U.S. Actually, two U.S. pairs move up in the world rankings ahead of the Pan Am Games starting this week. Um, and that is Stefan Peters and Laura Graves. Stefan moved up to seventh in the world ranking and Laura Graves moved up to eighth uh, and we will see them They are competing at the Pan Am games again um, sort of a do or die in a way for uh, the US and um, Canada we're
3: fighting, you know we're fighting yep. for we're fighting for uh, Olympic birth for our teams right so that's
2: right and this this is, whatever it's team. a real deal. Yeah, it's a real deal. This is a big deal um, for so, and Kim Hershlow, who's been on the team. Uh, I mean, on, on our show, she's on the team and Sabine Shout for the US. So um, we will. I Don't worry, everybody. I'll have my US flags out in force. <laughs> uh, and I will be next to uh, Philip. So I'm not okay. worried about it. Not It's, it, it's okay. a little team spirit. But we have all Canadians right, right. and we're all friends with everybody, so it's going to be a really fun trip. so
3: yeah right, I, actually I just um, I was looking on Facebook today and it looks like the Americans are are in transit right now mm-hmm. uh, on their way up here. So mm-hmm. I think a few of the other teams are, are at the venue, Maybe Ecuador, Venezuela, uh, Guatemala I think is, uh, is already here. so uh, you know good luck to all the teams.
2: And and Philip, real quick before we end this segment, um, how has it changed your venue or do we know yet? Like cause you guys show oh, Yeah,
3: yeah, we competed there already this mm-hmm. this year. Um so for the past two or three years, they've completely revamped the venue. Like they pulled out all the footings. We got all new, you know, the specialized fiber footings in there. Um they made new rings, new new buildings new indoor arena, new stabling. Like they just took it right down to the ground and and built it right right from the ground up again. So it was really nice to show there earlier this season. And uh we're very grateful to 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 have a venue, a world class venue now to compete at. It was it was very nice before. Uh you know we hosted most of the big shows there but but now it's it's on par with with uh some of the other venue like in Kentucky, you know, not as big as yeah. Kentucky. But uh but as far as footings and and, and that sort of unstabling and that sort of things goes, we're we're right up there now. We're very very lucky to to have yeah. them revamp that for the games. Yeah,
2: that's fantastic. I mean, that's sort of what happened here in Kentucky as well. The the park got a complete facelift for the World Equestrian Games, but yeah. um, not only just for, you know obviously it's still there after after the games go through, and it's been wonderful to show there and to be a part of it. And, um, you know, I, I've noticed myself, there's a significant more amount of bathrooms, which sounds silly, but <laughs> when you have to walk yeah. literally well, half
4: a mile in a perspective. Originally the, the horse park, 1500 acres, six bathrooms, that's yeah. six stalls, not six bathroom units, Total. six stalls. For it was 1500 awful. acres. It yeah. was
2: awful. Yeah. It was so bad. It was really, really difficult. And just little things like that have made our shows so much better. So I'm, I'm really happy, Philip, that you guys, your venue, also got a face. Yeah, and
3: so. the, and the area around it is built up too. I think they mm-hmm. built a um, a hotel, um, not specifically for the show, but because you know people were coming to the area. I mean, you know, it's just uh, it's done a lot for for the commerce and for the businesses. And you know, there was there was not a hotel very close to, very close to the venue. It was 45 minutes to to get a, wow. the closest hotel, sort of thing.
2: Jeez. Yeah, it's a uh, lot. The closest
3: hotel that you would want to stay at. Let's put yeah. that back kind <laughs> There was one yeah. before, but but so but now there's an, a, a new one that's about twenty minutes away, you know, all this great stuff happening. So uh yeah, we're very grateful, we're very lucky. So
0: yeah, uh, good luck to all the combinations it? this yep. weekend.
3: We're gonna be cheering them all on and, and it's gonna be fun. And and like Reese said, we're gonna we're gonna report from from the park, hopefully.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, right after this commercial break, we're going to come back with Hillary Moore Hebert, contributing editor to Dressage Today, and she's going to give her Dressage Today report for the month.
4: Wouldn't it be wonderful if your horse could enjoy a zone of repellency from pesky flies? Well, he can with EcoVet. EcoVet is an entirely new type of fly repellent, that is safe for horses and those applying it, offering a real alternative to toxic pesticides like pyrethrins. EcoVet confuses an insect's normal directional ability, the bug's GPS, if you will. So if it can't locate your horse, it can't bite your horse. Dr. Wendy Ying from the Driving Radio Show has been using it in South Florida, also known as the Jurassic Park of biting insects, and she just loves it. EcoVet's active ingredients are naturally occurring, food-grade fatty acids that have been clinically shown to improve the condition of horses with difficult-to-treat sweet itch problems. EcoVet is effective on mosquitoes, ticks, noceums, as well as flies. You can visit EcoVet online at eco-vet.com for more information or to order. You can find EcoVet at Dover Saddlery Stores and EcoVets on Facebook. Just search EcoVet, E-C-O-V-E-T.
2: Well, as always, this is our favorite segment of the month. We have contributing editor Hillary Moore Hebert on tonight. Hillary, how are you today?
5: I am doing well. How are you
2: guys? We are awesome. We're getting ready for Pan Am Games, celebrating Canada. Can't wait.
3: <laughs> yeah, we just had Canada Day, so that's that's good.
2: I know, and we were trying, Philip, can you explain to our listeners that are not Canadian what Canadi- Canadian Day is? (laughs)
3: Canada is the celebration of our confederation. I guess yours is the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I have no idea. What what do you guys celebrate on July 4th?
2: Fireworks.
3: (laughs) Barbecue.
2: (laughs) Hot dogs and hamburgers are awesomeness. (laughs) What else do you need to do?
3: Okay, yeah, you got it. You got it.
2: (laughs) The fact that we
5: clearly uh, did not pay attention to history class. Yeah, yeah, we didn't. Hillary and I didn't go to history class. No. Yeah. Isn't, I yeah. thought 4th of July was about a movie that involved the
2: White House. and
3: Oh, know, Aliens or something. or something? Independent? No, yeah. that's in, is that Independence Day?
2: <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So clearly, everybody, we need to all brush up <laughs> on our history lessons. But back to dressage. Hillary, what do you have on, on uh, tap for this this month for us? Okay, so I
5: wanted to look at our July issue because it's, you know, perfect timing going into the month. And I wanted to start with um, part one of Isabel von Neumann-Cosell's article on improving the seat. And she has some really interesting things. I sort of was expecting because it was about improving the seat, you know, okay, let's get into all these different position things. But she did, she talks about two things that are really interesting. The first being um, considering the proportions of your skeleton and how it relates to the strengths and weaknesses of your riding. And she has tons of diagrams and articles, so I definitely would recommend that you read it. But she shows the proportion of someone who has, you know, like a normal proportion of, if you look at them from their, you know, waist up, their upper body is half their body. And then from, you know, their Uh, not their waist, but from their hips down is the other half. And then from their head to their shoulders is two-fifths of that half. Two-fifths is to their waist, and then one-fifth is just the top part of the hip.
3: I don't think I'm normally proportioned.
5: I
4: don't think I am
5: either. (laughs) And mostly everyone isn't, and so that's where you start to say, you know, it's half my body from my um, hips down and half my torso up. Um, and then you start to kind of go from there. And just to kind of touch on some of the things that she talks about, um, so you can get an idea of it again, I would read the whole article because it really goes into depth. Um, She says that for people who have very long legs, uh, may have a tendency to solve a lot of their problems with their legs, Um, and if the upper body is not strong enough, there's often a tendency to pull the legs up in order to, shorten the long lever that they create. So I thought that was interesting because growing up, I always thought that it was like, you know, the dream was to have these long dressage legs, but it seems like not in every case does that help you. So I thought that that was an interesting little tidbit that she included.
1: Oh, this,
3: so, that's, that's a good point.
2: What I, I I think I would be in that category. I have really long legs. I have a really short upper body and long arms. So, uh, that was a big challenge for me and still can be when I'm still, you know, when I'm on a horse that I need to work on, I have to drop my stirrups and make myself use my long leg, you know, make my legs hang down. Um, so I would be actually in that category. What about you guys? What category are you in?
3: I'm in the shorter torso. I mean, I've got like too much leg.
2: Yeah. You have too much leg too. Yeah. 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 It's
3: it's tough. You know, Uh, I just have a problem sometimes actually reaching any horse under, like, 16 two, I just, you know, I have to really um, try and keep my leg long because I have to lift it just to, you know, if, I, if I'm if i riding a, an advanced horse that's a little smaller and I need to use my spur, my leg has to, you know, come up to actually have the spur touch the horse. So, you know, I'm always struggling with, with uh, you know, being effective and being able to use the different aids, you know depending depending the the bigger the horse the easier it is for me i you know for me i think i fit best probably something over 17 one that's when i feel the most comfortable and really able to to ride a horse but it depends on the on the horse's proportions as well i mean if they have you know a really um long girth then then it's a little better than than a horse that's really tucked up in the belly and and doesn't have a very big torso so i mean it's you ride every horse a little differently depending on their proportions and you got to you got to kind of figure it out you know takes a lot of time takes riding a a ton of different horses to to yeah. to kind of feel what your strengths and weaknesses are and and how to adjust for every horse so yeah
5: and I mean. that that seems to be the key to this because you know it sort of says in the article once you get strong enough um you don't have to worry so much about pulling your legs up and i think that that's the key I'm the actual opposite, and, um, you know, we couldn't have planned it better because I have my torso when I sit next to my husband who's over six feet tall. I'm about the same height as him, so I have a very long upper body. Um, And uh, where they say for this, for people who are listening that have that, um, that you need more muscle tension to stabilize this long upper lever, Um, the inexperienced rider is going to is often hard to relax the body and then, um, you know, it's going to be hard for you to kind of have that almost, as I've always felt, this kind of this long upper body, you know, waving in the breeze. So you need to get it stronger and stabilized to help for what, you know, left you have below your hip. Um, and I definitely believe that that is true. I um, try to do a lot of things related to plank and, you know, um, like alternating push-up stuff, the plank, and anything that can get my upper body stronger because I have so much distance that I have to keep control of, and I think um, it's interesting because I have gone to the beach with some professional riders, and I definitely know that people who have those longer torsos, if you look at their upper back and their core muscles, um, you know, everybody looks very, very fit, but like if you look at my upper back, it's probably one of the stronger
3: parts of my body. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. 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 That's a good, a good tip when you're, when you're teaching lessons to, to be able to evaluate people's different uh, proportions and and strengths and weaknesses. So something we should all be thinking about anyways of, um, um, you know, where, where each rider needs to focus their, their attention a little bit and, and where they need to work on. So it's a good tip, Hillary. What's next?
5: So, in the same article, because um, that was more just kind of a sidebar to it, she talks about um, how we have um, almost the way if you put your hand in hot water and cold water, you can start to not really tell the difference. You just know that something's going on. Um, You know, with your position, you can get to the point where you can feel that something's wrong, but you're not sure what. Uh, She suggests, and I think that this is interesting, because I know people have talked about doing video or just using a mirror, or whatever. But I thought this was interesting. She said to take a series of systematic photos from very specific angles to get a sense of what happens to your body when things are working or not working. And she has a list here. I'm just going to list off some of them because I think they're interesting. Um, you know, in the halt, from essentially both sides and front and back. Um, same thing for the trot, walk, trot, and canter. Um, and then she also talks about Shooting from different angles as you're on a turning line or on a bending line, um, as well as from behind when you're on a straight line, to give you a sense of what happens to your body when you're in right or left leg. Canter on a straight line, you know, in sitting trot, as you turn a circle, what's happening? Is, are your hips falling out? Is your shoulder collapsing? But just understanding you know, where your natural balance is and really looking at it visually and saying, is this what it feels like, you know, or is this what I'm looking at, what it feels like to me, or am I thinking that I'm falling left and maybe overcorrecting and making the problem worse, for example? I thought that was a neat idea because I think a lot of times we have our show photos um, that look very nice from the side or from the front, but we don't often look at the ones that may be a little bit, you know, um, less visually appealing for the horse underneath us, so the photographer won't take them. Um, but for us, maybe the most helpful because it's, you know, what do I look like when I'm turning into shoulder-in, or what do I look like when I'm, you know, two strides before going into the hall. And I think it's helpful.
4: No, I would
2: totally agree with that. And I think anything, videos, photos, you know, anything you can sort of analyze. I I actually hate to watch myself on video just because I'm like, oh my God, everything's awful. So (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I really don't like it. Yeah. But I have to, you know, get over it and say, okay, what was good? What was bad? What needs to be here or there? Uh, Like I said, but I don't like to do it. Um, But I think the more and more we can analyze it, the better off you are.
3: Well, you should just, you should just find a, find a buddy to send your videos to.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Philip gets all my, all my videos. (laughs) "Uh, How did this go? What do you think? (laughs) Well, I think that's a a great point, you know, to have somebody that you really trust to send your videos to, to say, you know, like, um, you reviewed my freestyle video for a a little while ago and uh, you said, Hey, it's way too fast in the chat. You need to really watch that. And, you know, just certain things like that. And, um, that really video can make a difference. And it's a great thing to actually have your spouse do. That's kind of why as I was um, listening to to you, Hillary, I was like, you know, this would be kind of cool to, to give your husband or your wife or your partner or whoever, um, you know, some instructions to help because it sounds like they give some really good and specific um, views that I think it would be really helpful to have a friend or a spouse um, help you with this. And they could probably get really good at it if they practice. So I thought it was a great idea.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think number one is eyes on the ground, you know, if you get instruction, but not all of us have great access to that. I think videos are good. I, th- I just like this interesting point about using a photo as a specific angle because that really, you know, it captures a moment and you can really evaluate a moment a lot easier than you can evaluate, um, you know, a horse traveling on a curve in a video. And in the video, you may not be thinking about this angle, that angle from the side, from the front, you know, but you can really capture that you know, in in a a specific moment in a still shot. So um, all of this is very, you know, super useful to be able to, you know, for yourself, you can look at the photo, you can send the photo. I mean, all this technology is awesome. You can send that photo to a friend, you can send it to a trainer, you can send it to Dressage Today magazine, and they still do the evaluations. So, I mean, that's great, you know, and all the angles are important, you know, to evaluate whether you're sitting in the middle of the horse Whether you're dipping this shoulder, that shoulder, on a circle, on a straight line, in a shoulder in, you know, whatever it is. So, um, it's a great tip to keep thinking about different ways that you can, you can help yourself ride better on a day to day basis without having to spend a ton of money on, on, you know, on instructors and and things like this. So, that's great, Hillary. Anything else to add to that?
5: Yeah, and I was going to say, I know I said I had five tips today, but this is, I can see sort of the like part B of that. I have to say that where I find that this is most helpful all the time is especially in canter. A lot of people, their hips fall outward in canter. Um, you know, I think probably just from the centrifugal force of pushing out because it's such a high energy gait, their hips fall out, and it's very hard to explain to them when you say you're falling out. What they do is they bring their shoulders in because it's easier for them because they're offsetting this. You know, the direction that their body is throwing them. But then it makes the problem worse. So to me, if there's like one thing that I could use this for, it would be to show people how much, you know, and I see this a lot, is how much people's hips tend to go out and then how much they lean in with their shoulders to counteract that if you tell them that. So in that case, I think a picture is really worth a thousand words because they can understand then what that means. And unless you've seen it from the ground as a trainer, I think it's very hard to understand what that is that's happening. I don't know if you guys agree or not.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's The visuals you know, help just as much as somebody, you know, we're all different learners, right? And sometimes it's easier. I, I think just people have a better imagination than others. and then, and, But if you can get a really good visual about what's happening, um, you have a better chance of correcting it for sure.
2: Excellent. So what's our next one?
5: Okay. So um, my favorite article this month is the counter canter with George Williams. And I am always really excited to hear what he has has to say because, um, you know, he really is clear and concise about things. Um, But he talks about four exercises to to develop your horse's straightness and collection. So it's really neat because it's talking about the counter canter, but there's a couple of exercises that I wanted to touch on. Um, that I think would relate to a larger group of the readers, maybe if you're not working on just the counter canter. Um, and the first one is listed as exercise three, if you're going to look in magazines, magazine. Um, and he has you um, halt and um, go to rain back and then pick up the canter again. And the exercise, he says, helps understand the half halt and understand the per- and helps the horse understand the correct response to the outside leg and confirms that the horse is in front of the inside leg. So I really like this because I think it's a simple, well, it's not really a simple exercise, but it's very easy to remember of going from halt rein back to, you know, true cancer um, because then you're getting into a situation where you can really make sure that the horse is responsive to the whole package of aids.
3: Yeah, that is great. I mean, I think the counter canter is, you know, if you're really trying to ride around the outside or do a curve or something like that, it's really hard for the horse to stay balanced and straight and for the rider to do the same thing. So I think, you know, the halt and a little bit of rain back just gives a reset, teaches the horse to sit on the hind legs a little bit, and then you can strike off the canter and and go again and, and really refresh it. I think um, where we really struggle is that um, you know, I got a horse right now, actually. He's just working on the counter canter. And, uh, you know, he falls apart a little bit. And then, you know, what, what, what do I do as a rider? Do I, you know, do I push him on and say, keep going, keep going, keep, you know, then I end up chasing him and he's running around and he's like, it feels awful. So I think it's a lot better to take this tip into mind and just say, okay, let's reset. You know, you can pick up the canter again and you're more balanced. You're more on your hind legs and we can carry on with it, you know, for however many strides he can keep it. And, and then, you know, he falls apart again or he trots or whatever, come back, you know, and, and really, I think a big part of, of the counter canter is actually, um, you know, the transitions being able to go back towards to trot or walk or even in this case, halt and then, and pick up counter canter again. I mean, that's, that's the essence of the horse understanding which lead you want is which lead you're asking for that he can give you, whether it's, you know on you know on the inside lead which is a true canter or the outside lead which is the counter canter when you can get that the horse understands what you want and you can build from that and you can go you know 10 strides 15 strides all the way around and around on a circle or whatever but if the horse doesn't really understand that that he's supposed to do one lead over another lead and that's the lead you're asking for then you get into a lot more a lot more trouble so i like the tip it's great george williams he's awesome so uh, so what's the next thing
5: and, you know, to add to that, again, I'm going to do a Part B, is I think that that where you're talking about doing the true cancer to, you know, being able to do whether it's a walk or a halt, um, you know, and then going into the counter canter. It's amazing how many people who, when they're struggling with the flying changes, if you ask them to go to do that exercise, it's not so easy.
6: And I yeah. think that
5: it's a really yeah. good gateway movement to make sure that you're ready to do, you know, the single flying changes are also, if you can do multiple simple changes on the long side between true and counter canter, and you know, your tempies are going to be straighter.
2: That's a huge, I, that's actually right when you started to say plan B, it kind of popped in my head as well. I was like, this is such an important exercise.
3: It's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's
2: huge. It's, like, yeah. <laughs> like you said for tempies and just your changes,
3: you can't and, skip over it.
2: No, I've had, this summer has been like the summer of, of people not teaching horses changes well for me. So I've had a lot of horses that I've had to work on, and, and one's my working student's horse. And they they just asked for the canter. Like, this exercise is now becoming easier, but she could not do this when she first came a couple months ago. It was not possible. And I was like, if this isn't possible in the balance, there's no way the horse can get the flying change. So, um this is a huge one and and anybody who's an eventer that's listening or does some eventing this is also really important exercise for you between preliminary and, and intermediate and advanced a lot of times the horses will jump back and forth between those levels and um and in, in immediate the horses have to do this sort of canter walk exercise and in the advanced they have to do a flying change so this is actually a really good tip if anybody's listening um that is in eventing because um a very very helpful exercise as well. I'll throw that in. So, especially
5: yeah, before you go on cross country. <laughs> oh, That's <my laughs> what you were talking yeah. about.
2: I was like, if you can't do this, stay off the advanced course. Yeah, stay off the advanced course. Oh yeah, well, I would need to do this to go to advanced. But no, the dressage, the the questions that they have, they yeah, asked. Yeah. <laughs> they need to do this too, along with cross country. Yes, very important.
3: <laughs> I think it's tricky because you know it's not really. A fancy, you know, a fancy thing. It's all about you know, real attention to detail and attention to the horse's balance. And the horse has to to pay attention to which leads you're asking. And really, it's I. This is a really tough exercise for for hot horses because they don't want to be coming back to walk and picking up canter and coming back to walk and picking up the other canter and they, you know, they get fussy and 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 uh, you know that's that's really tough. But it's worth it to just go through and plug away. And spend at least some time on this, you know, every day. You, you know, even even the top level dressage horses, um, you'll find that they're, you know, as, as you condition them and as you develop them, the simple changes get easier. And if you can do really crisp, clean, simple changes, the flying changes are just right there for you. You know, all you have to do is ask. But if you really are, if you're struggling, struggling, struggling with counter canter and simple changes from counter canter to true canter and, and vice versa, and you just say, oh, forget it. Let's just do flying changes. Let's just teach flying changes. There, that's not that's not really so. a recommended thing. You know, you're going to have problems in your flying changes and, you, and you, you're going to go to a trainer and you're going to say, oh, my flying changes are always late behind. Or the, and guess what? You're going to have to go back to simple changes and counter canter to fix it. So yeah. get it right first time. You have, you have a lot better time.
2: All right. Well, Hillary, what's next? After we, that was, that was a much longer explanation for part B on that one, but I think it was important. Yeah. So, What's the next one?
5: So, um, the sidebar that he um, covers in the article, I was really happy, is the counter cancer from fourth level test three, which I've just decided fourth level test three. Uh, it's like my nemesis. I, I <laughs> tell people, I'm like, what? Just, like, move up to the intermediate because I feel like it's easier than the four three sometimes. And I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure is. that I feel any difference with this new test. Um, and I will explain. The counter canter in three for anyone who's not familiar with it, is at C, you pick up the true collected canter on the right lead. From R to I, you do a half 10-meter circle, I to F, half 10-meter circle and counter canter with a flying change at E and then V to L, half 10-meter circle, and then L to P, half 10-meter circle, and counter-cancer, and a flying chain to F. So <laughs> it's this, just a simple old thing to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. it,
2: used to be, it used to be in the old Pre-St. George and the old Young Rider test. This, this was yeah. a movement that was around, and then they, they thankfully got rid of it, and then they
3: brought it back. And then they brought this was around for a
2: while when I went to Young Riders, and it was like the nemesis. Like everybody would be like, oh, "She's going for the counter canter," you know. it was like, she's "Oh going for God, yeah." So yeah, I, I I've
5: done it. It must have been then the same thing when I did was doing the Young Rider test. They mm-hmm. must have been like, "Oh, you guys, now that you're older, you know, you're not doing the Young Rider test anymore. Let's bring it back." Since you has been practicing it so much, mm-hmm. but, um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting because he says. Um, To do it well, your horse's shoulder must be maneuverable to the new direction, and the haunches must be directly behind the shoulders, which, you know, are two things that you really need to start working on way ahead of time, is being able to ride, you know, straightness um, and having shoulder control, which you're starting to see, you know, down at the lower levels. And then your horse must demonstrate straightness on the center line. This movement, when done well, improves the degree of collection of your horse, so I think it's interesting because, you know, it's both a test and also an exercise in and of itself. But it is very difficult. Um, So I think it's an interesting thing to consider. But also, um, you know, again, with the last exercise we talked about, I think if you can do it well, you know you're in the right direction. But, um, you know, if you can't, again, you need to go back and say, do I have shoulder control? Do I have the ability to get straightness? Um, you know, and checking again on those things before you start going into these difficult exercises. So, as Philip says, you know, things don't fall apart as you're at the level. It, you know, you've done your foundation work already.
3: That's
4: yeah, and, and you
2: won't be on the sidelines going. There she goes to the counter. <laughs> yeah,
3: your coach won't be going. Oh no, there's oh, a counter. Yeah, I think, it, I think this starts actually at second level because you have to do the serpentine uh, loop and counter counter and, at second level. And you have to have pretty good control to do that loop. Um, but when I'm trained, so when I can do that easily at the second level, I like to um, continue to train this as I'm riding third level and so that I can do um, serpentines with more loops and serpentines with smaller loops. You know, um, true counter, 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 true counter, counter, counter canter. canter so you know, um, uh, serpentine between the quarter lines. So it's kind of like half 10 meter circles. Then you get to do four loops. And then it's really like, you know, and then if, if you can do that, you can do this, you can do this exercise. I mean, it's just a, cha- a case of throwing in the flying change at the end, you know, but, uh, continue to challenge yourself and your horse. And, you know, uh, the only thing in the test with the, with the serpentine is that second level counter counter serpentine but you can easily devise plans that makes it a little bit harder but maybe not as hard as a half a 10 meter you know as a 10 meter s you know but uh you know you got to keep thinking and being on your toes at home and as you're working up the levels so that when you hit fourth level like hillary said when you hit fourth level this should not be a surprise for you and your horse you should be already working on these kinds of things and not just saying oh well we're at third level now you know, counter canter, that's forget about it. You know, that's out the door because it, it becomes important, you know, later on. And, and, uh, you know, priest and George, obviously we have to do a, um, a half pirouette to counter canter to a flying change. You know, I think this fourth level movement is even harder than that priest and George movement. So it's about, yeah, laying yeah. the foundations and, yeah, and, and getting it right and, and going a little bit above and beyond just following what the tests say and, and keeping your horse interested by keeping the, the movements interesting and and thinking of different things that you can do that are difficult and challenging but but not so difficult and challenging that you're you're stuck when you get to actually having to do that fourth level test. Yeah. So well, it's, it's
5: interesting you were saying that the second level test because Um, I actually wasn't thinking of the serpentine part of that. What I was thinking about is in second level test one where you have to do the counter canter across the short diagonal to the simple change at M. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that always seems to really um, get people that I've noticed where they have no problem with the simple changes on the serpentine, but there's something about going into the corner where it's almost like they start the bend and then they do the change, the simple change a little late and To me, when I look at this exercise, that last change at F, you know, it's the same exact thing. You have to get it balanced and, you know, straight and early enough so you don't get yourself buried into the corner.
3: Good point. Good point. I mean, there's all, you know, they think they just make up these tests out of imagination. But really, I mean, it just leads to the next thing and leads to the next thing. They're all building exercises that that will help you. So it's worth being able to do everything in all the tests really well before you just yeah. jump and move on and do, you know and go to third level or go to you know, jump to fourth level or something because you know they're, they're all building exercises and they're all worthwhile doing well. So I think that's important for people to, to think about.
2: So Hillary, what's our last tip of the evening? Okay, so we talk about
5: straightness and shoulder maneuverability and um, the, the solutions actually has a right, a really nice visual about that, which I can um, appreciate because it's so hot out right now. So to create throughness with correct bend when your horse is crooked, imagine your crooked horse as a kinked hose. You need to straighten him to get the kinks out and get the water, um, you know, his energy flowing through. Then you can bend correctly. And I really like this idea because people are always saying, oh, you know, if my horse is bent, how come I need to straighten him before I get bent again? And, you know, I think this is helpful. You need to think about sort of unkinking the hose, getting that shoulder under control, um, you know, getting everything straight, the energy flowing, then you can get correct bend, you know, by cleaning the rib cage out and the whole body is then connected. Um, so I, re- I really like that visual.
2: Yeah, that's a fantastic visual. Is there an actual visual in the magazine, Hillary? Yep, it's
5: um, three pictures from overhead, and it shows the horse, um, you know, just having really a bend, instead of that flexion that you get where the horse kind of is popping his head to the side the rest of his body isn't going when it shows the pose going it shows that there's a nice clean curved line that's following his pulse line on the line of travel so I like it
2: oh, that's fantastic
6: yeah
3: that, that yeah that brings me back to just a point that I like to make um, you know when I'm teaching a, a big thing is you know, um riders you know will hold the bend of their horses all the way around the arena and, and you know i like to tell people that it's not it's not the bend that's hard for the horse it's the act of bend you know going from straight to bend to going straight again you know that's the difficult part are your aids correct or is the horse listening to your inside leg you know everybody can pull the horse's head around the turn and and just hold it there for hours on end if you really want that's not difficult right but, you know, if you're going from straight to bend, does the horse do that easily and within the rhythm and, you know, and all that sort of, you know, and that's the point of the dressage test. It's, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to be constantly changing the bend and, and going from this side to straight to the other side. And, 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 and that's the hard thing, you know, not just holding one bend. A lot of horses are crooked and hold a bend to one side naturally all day long and they don't care. It's not hard for a horse to do that. It's the communication between horse and rider that, that, that makes that that makes it work. So that's a good, you know, unkinking the hose and, and, and turning it again. That really works for me as a visual. So it's great.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's really good. And also just, you know, because I, I happened to say it right before I came in uh, to a student, you know, she really was just over flexing the horse to, to the inside on the right rein. And I finally just said, you can t- you keep doing it. <laughs> and so and that's pre- actually pretty common where yeah, you really have to say, common. hey, don't do that. Don't pull. And it's usually it's usually right um, yeah. if you're right-handed. Typically is what I see. Yeah, and
3: you're I was holding like, the hey, pressure on your stronger yeah, hand.
2: Your stronger hand. You need to put the weight in the left rein. Um, and so she is kicking the hose herself. She's creating the kink. So um, I really I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that one and use it to, uh, and on her that particular rider's next lesson for sure. So. Well, and definitely
5: have her read the rest of that article that Isabel um, wrote because they talk about that. They talk about, you know, thinking about your lifestyle throughout the day and how you can become dominant on one side or the other or doing things like that. And, um, yeah, I always see that, too. I agree with you with that right hand because everybody's using their mouse on their computer with their right hand. They're driving and, you know, their hand's sort of resting on the shifter or whatever, and they're using the gas pedal more so they just start thinking more about the right side of their body. So um, you know, I think it's interesting she addresses that exact thing of how, if it's right or created, how to kind of take control of that.
3: Yeah.
2: No, it's a really good It's a really good thing. Oh, yeah, very, very yeah, common. I like it. Well, Hillary, as always, thank you so much for coming on the show. How do our listeners find you online?
5: They can go to dressagetoday.com as well as check us out on Uh, all the social media platforms, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Pinterest,
2: YouTube. Well, as always, Hillary is our favorite segment of the month. I just always enjoy speaking with her, and and I hope everybody enjoyed it as well. So right after this commercial break, we're going to come back with Justin from Total Saddle Fit uh, for some listener questions.
4: Today's podcast has been brought to you by Dr. Rose's Remedies All Natural Healing Salve. Developed by veterinarian Dr. Rose DeLeva, the Dr. Rose's Skin Treatment Salve is an all-natural anti-inflammatory, antiviral, antifungal, antiseptic, and anti-scarring product that contains no artificial colorings or preservatives. It works to promote the healing of scratches, relieve inflammation and irritation, promote the healing of wounds, and moisturize the skin of the horse. Because it has so many healing qualities and uses all-natural ingredients, Doctor Rose's Remedies skin treatment is the safe, effective salve that every horseman should have in their tack box. Ask for Doctor Rose's Remedies all-natural healing salve at your local tack store, or you can go to Doctor Rose's That's D R R O S E S R E M E D I E S dot com.
2: Well, tonight we have a special treat. We have Justin himself from total saddle fit on to answer our listener questions justin how you doing tonight
7: i'm doing awesome how are you guys
2: great well we have you are in such demand with our listeners and, and you are you're like an old pro at this now
7: <laughs> that's
3: very kind of you to say you might, your, to you might get your own radio show soon it's just all about <laughs> saddle fitting.
2: I, I think <laughs> the amount of questions we get he could he could do it So, Justin, we wanted to jump right in. philip has got your first listener question. We're going to be busy tonight. Uh, Philip, take it away.
3: All right. This one's from Nan. I've been reading a lot about saddle twists recently and how it affects the rider. Does the twist affect the fit of the horse? Thanks, and keep up the great work, Justin. So we're talking about saddle twists here.
7: Certainly. So the, the short answer for that is... No, it, on any decent saddle, the twist shouldn't really affect the fit to the horse. That's really going to be built for the rider. Now, the thing I just think is worth mentioning is a couple little points to kind of keep an eye out on. And I've seen this a little bit, but it's not super, it's not It's not like a huge problem out there, but good to keep an eye on for your own saddle, which is the first thing. When you have a narrow twist saddle, underneath that twist is the tree of the saddle, which is what your horse actually does feel. And every once in a while, you'll have a, what are called the tree bars. They're kind of the two um, front, you know longitudinal front to back bars that uh, attach the front of the saddle to the back of the saddle. and those run underneath the twist. Every once in a while, those tree bars can tuck in too narrow close to a horse's spine and can give them a little bit of trouble like they can it can either uh, put too much pressure over the spine, trapezius area, or it can um, even even hit the spine depending on the build of the horse. And like I said, it's kind of uncommon, so you probably won't run into this, but if if you think there might be a problem in that area or if you think your saddle might be fitting funny, when you have your saddle all girthed up tight, take a look down um, from the front and the back, down the gullet of the the saddle, down the channel, so you can see if there's any weird contact spots or any kind of like really close areas between the horse's spine and the saddle. Um, So that'd be the first thing. And then the second thing that I would really encourage people to look out for, much more so than the first one, is the stirrup bars. What you'll find every once in a while is even though it's not in the twist per se, the stirrup bars can angle inward and the, the ends of the stirrup bars can kind of point inward toward the horse's body. And sometimes those can create pressure points. So it's it's done in some degree to make the stirrups less noticeable for a rider. But if, it's, uh, if the stirrup bars point in too much... It can impinge on the horse a little bit there, but again, these aren't huge issues that happen all the time. Just a couple little things to look out for.
2: That that's a really good tip, Justin. But I I also have a question about just the saddle twist for a rider, because I mm-hmm. know I need a narrow twist. I know that I need a super narrow twist. Which, uh, if you look at my confirmation, um, you know I'm actually a little bit wide in the hips and a little bit wide in the thigh. I mean, you know, I like to say I'm supermodel, but, you know, that's just the reality. Um, and I think people look at me and think, oh, no, she's not going to want a narrow twist. But I will tell you that I am I'm, i mean, if I'm in a, in a wide saddle, I, it's very, very painful for me. So can you talk a little bit about like how people can figure out what type of twist they need, if that makes sense?
7: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, the twist is one of those interesting things that I think a lot of factors come into it. Um, that you can't exactly measure for per se in terms of figuring out what a rider is going to want. So, in theory, you know, if someone has a narrow pelvis, a narrow twist would be better because you know, the pair, they're, they're overall narrower, so they, they, they would be more comfortable with, you know, like less interference between their legs. But I've found it, that those preferences vary across the board, kind of like what you were saying. If someone can be built with a wide pelvis but still want a um, a narrow twist, somebody can, I've, I've come across people there. You know, rail, skinny, very, very petite little people that, per, that prefer wider twist. So that, I don't know that there's really a steadfast rule other than sitting in a handful of different styles of seats and figuring out what you like. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, like a uh, past that comes into it, maybe what you used to ride when you were growing up, um, what, you know, what you learned in something like that. But that's, I think that's really more just personal feel than anything else.
2: I've always wanted to know that. Yeah, I've always wanted to know that because it's true. And I I think you're right. Just sit in a lot of different saddles because once you sort of figure out what you like, it's very clear. It's very, for me, it's painful to sit in a wide saddle. I I can't do it. I mean, I'll I'll come right off. I can't. It really, really hurts. So yeah. Well, thank you. That was my own question. Philip, do you have another one?
3: We got one from Brian here that says, I recently started getting serious about doing dressage on my Morgan mare after many years of just playing around. So I want to get a proper saw saddle. She was very round and short-backed. Are there any particular fitting issues unique to short-backed horse? Thanks.
7: Definitely. So there are, I think we should break this up into two pieces, which is, is round-backs and short-backs because they both have you know, kind of unique characteristics to look out for. So for the round back horse, the main thing that I would look for is overall like a broad-fitting saddle. Now, this doesn't mean narrow or wide twist. I mean more about how the panels touch the horse's back. So if we have a round horse, the saddles are going to want to kind of be a little bit unstable left to right. They may want to shift or, or move left to right. So if we have a broad-fitting saddle, we kind of get a more stable, planted fit on the horse's back. So what I look for is wide panels, meaning um, I decide. So you can look at the back of a saddle, and some have kind of very petite, cylindrical panels as you look from the back forward and then have broad kind of flatter ones for a round that. You certainly want those broader, flatter panels. And then the other thing along with, you know, sort of, uh, in tune with the panels, is that you'd like to have a wider gullet. So the, the space between the left panel and the right panel, the, generally as a rule of thumb, the bigger, the better, if you have a very round horse, because that's, again, is going to make the saddle sit more planted and more stable. Um, as for the short backed horses, um, this can sometimes be a little bit tough because at the end of the day, you have a rider that wants to ride their horse and you have to fit the rider into a saddle that's the rider's size, right? So you know, in theory, if you have a very short back horse, you could use a shorter saddle and you wouldn't you wouldn't risk going past the last rib, getting into the lumbar or anything like that. But um I'm gonna kind of speak to it as if we don't really have that much choice in the length of the saddle. And we're going to make we're going to make the best of the situation for whatever saddle fits the rider that owns this horse. So the first thing is that I'd suggest making sure the saddle is balanced in the center. And one of the biggest saddle fit problems I come across anyway is unbalanced saddles. And what that means is either sitting too low in the front, like the pommel is low, or sitting too low in the back, like the cantle is low. And regardless, of one way or the other, you're distributing weight over your horse's back unevenly. So if you have a short back horse and you know you might be right on the cusp there of, of, of how your saddle is fitting you know, lengthwise, be sure the balance is centered so you're not putting any additional pressure on the back of the, on the, back of the saddle, the back of the seat, which would be over the horse's lumbar. And uh, the second thing in terms of the short-backed horse would be taking a look at, the, at what, what is called the gusset in the back of the panel. And that's like, if you look at a side view of a saddle, of a dressage saddle, especially, but jump saddles as well, you'll kind of see like a triangular little strip of leather at the back of the panel. And modern saddles have these very large gussets in the back to make saddles fit stable on bigger, on bigger yeah. horses, warm blood, stuff like yeah. that. But, um, for short back horses, you want to make sure that gusset does not protrude out. Backward very much. Make it. Make sure it's a more minimal gusset, and that'll prevent any any additional pressure from being carried too far back on the horse's
3: back. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I know that with certain saddles, you can buy it if you're buying brand new. You can buy it with the with the with an extra gusset or, or not. I guess that depends on your horse, right?
7: So, I mean, you well, yeah, a you lot would of, just a lot buy the just extra gusset. You don't mm-hmm. Get
3: the gusset on every horse. You have to really understand what that is and whether that is good for your horse or not right it's gonna cost oh, you more sure. money
7: well oh yeah it will and that's it's you not know so assuming better, that right? we're I guess talking not about someone better, with yeah, a budget
3: adding way back there behind the saddle to where it's like squared out behind the seat you know the horse has to be big enough to to support that
7: Totally, totally. And you know, that those are those big gussets are made for longer backs or flatter backs that can accommodate that. You know, if your horse has a short little back, then that one's probably not for him.
3: Okay. All right. Well we're gonna lead into the next question is where do you weigh in on adjustable stirrup bars? Can moving the stirrup bars adversely affect the balance of the saddle?
7: So kind of in general, I'm not a huge fan of overly adjustable saddle. I kind of have this mindset as like, if you get too many gadgets in there or you try to be too many things to too many people, it gets really hard to accomplish the end goal. So there's a lot of those things, you know, adjustable, this and that, which um, can it, it, all these different concepts can work, you know, adjust, interchangeable goal plates, uh, movable stirrup bars, uh, movable Velcro blocks and, and changeable billets and stuff. They all can work if applied correctly. The only trouble is it can be really hard to make these things work correctly. So to to bring it back to just the stirrup bars, I think there's a place for them and they can be done right. But um, with the adjustable stirrup bars, sometimes I think they are used to kind of incorrectly solve a problem that a saddle might have. So say a rider is feeling like they're in a the chair seat, they're kind of back in the seat, their legs are out in front of them. One solution might be, well, if we move the stirrup bars backward, we can get to, we can get you know the rider's leg more underneath her and get a more you know balanced seat but usually what ha- the, usually the cause of something like that would be the, the lack of fit the saddle somewhere else meaning the saddle's out of balance on the horse's back maybe the seat's too big for the rider there could be a lot of different things that are going on and I just don't know that that that, that uh, those kinds of adjustable features are always what's going to be it's not necessarily going to be solving the problem in the right way which is why i have a little um, hesitation toward them
2: i'm i'm really glad you said that justin because <laughs> it normally falls if there's something to adjust if it's you know um the tree if it's the stirrup bars it sort of falls on the trainer and of course you know we know about you, you, we know about saddle fit, but I am not a saddle fitter and I do not, you know, I can tell if a saddle's balanced certainly I, you you know, can call you and have resources to help me with saddle fitting, but saddle fitting really isn't my specialty. I can really tell you it's wrong, but I can't necessarily tell you why it's wrong. Um, and I'm okay with that because I feel like, again, I I have just enough knowledge to be slightly dangerous. So I end up (laughs) You know what I mean? But it, I end up, you know, when there's an adjustable bar, you know, i have a student come in and say, oh, I have adjusted stirrup bars. Let me, let, you know, let's, let's play with it. And, you know, of course, you know, we can kind of muddle around and figure it out. But a lot of times it makes me really nervous. Um, and again, I'm, uh, I kind of went back to what you said and that something's not right in the saddle if we need to adjust it a lot. So uh, I was really happy you said that. And I, I, I personally, as a trainer, hate adjustable saddles. I think the only time that I, I think because um, sometimes I have younger riders and I have one young rider who's a doll and I see her once a week uh, and I swear to Lord, she she changed, she's taller this week. I saw her last week and I looked at her today and I was like, have you grown a foot since I saw you? Like, I mean, she just, she's growing rapidly. So, uh, you know, sometimes I today we just had to say, hey, you need longer stirrups because you grew, so that's the only thing I can kind of see. But uh, you know, it's it's tough. I, I, I'm I'm kind of with you on not liking adjustable. Philip, how do you have the same feeling? Or
3: I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say, like, well, you know, the more tools that we have can be good, but you want them in an expert's hands, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you want somebody to yeah, say, "Well, exactly you, you hear, yeah, here's a, a good reason to adjust the saddle." Here's, you know, I'm not as a trainer, like you said, I didn't, I don't have the education to say no. that's, hey, that, that's going to work. That's a good idea. Or, you know, why would we do that? That's not a good idea. Maybe you should just learn how to ride better. Like, you know, that's very confusing. And the more little aspects that we throw into that, that it gets, you know, gets, gets more, more confusing yeah. and, and more problematic maybe than, than it should. You know, I think if you're going to adjust saddle, you know, the bars or, or a tree or whatever, then we need a saddle fitter every yes. time to say, Hey, let's do that. Okay, great. And then, and that's what I prefer to say. You know, if it is adjustable, get an expert in to help you adjust it. Don't just say, oh, today I think I need these bars back or this tree widened. And then I say, well, I I, I guess. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. know. That's where I'm left saying, like, okay, you know, (laughs) rather than, um, you know, being really confident to say, yeah, that's exactly what we should do. And this is going to help you. And this is why. And this is how this fits together with that. Right. You know, yeah,
7: I yeah, well, there's a chain reaction too. So every time you make one change on a saddle, you're affecting other parts of the saddle. So if you were to say widen a tree, well, that's going to make the saddle fit different, not just at the tree points, not just at the front, but it's going to change the balance of the saddle overall. It's going to change how the panels contact the horse's back. So if you don't know all the you know all the different factors that are going into one change. Uh, e- you kind of are a little bit at a disadvantage because you go, okay, I'm going to move this stirrup bar, or I'm going to widen this tree because I have these tools available. But that's only the first part of the equation. Understanding all the ramifications of that one change and how to compensate for them in other parts um, It's pretty necessary to really make it effective. Which is why it gets just gets so hard to really make them, uh, su- you know, super super useful and effective without having a professional, you know, there to kind of give some guidance.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I have saddles that have adjustable trees, but I can't adjust them on my own, right? I need a saddle fitter to come and say, okay, you know, and, and then I, I feel like that's that's when to use these tools because I like the saddle to be able to fit this horse and then I buy another horse and I want the, the this, this saddle to go with the other horse or whatever. Then I say, okay, it's handy to have an adjustable tree or the horse is young and then two years later, you go, it gets really wide and then it's okay well I have this saddle it's adjustable I'm going to get somebody here to adjust it for me the tree and then to do all the paneling and make sure everything's flocked properly and then, then I have a saddle I can ride for you know another another year and get it checked again but I, you know I like the idea of but I'm not going to get in there and be tweaking with the saddle or, or trying to flock it myself I just don't have the education it's not an easy thing to do.
7: Definitely. So. And, you know, there there's a couple of different types of adjustability, just so, you know, we're clear and, you know, your, your listeners are clear about what we're talking about. There's a lot of adjustable saddles. They're wonderful, wonderful saddles. But those are saddles that are adjusted by saddle fitters. So, you know, any wolf locked saddles, those are technically adjustable. Any any um, uh, the vast majority of trees, for that matter, are adjustable by a saddle maker or a saddle fitter what i was just you know trying to make clear is that we're you know we're talking more about like the bolt on bolt off
3: kind of like super user friendly version of adjustability which can be a little bit dangerous yeah
4: agreed yeah (laughs) Yeah. all
3: right we'll (laughs) move on we'll move on from virginia we have a question about the saddle channel do narrow horses need less room than wider flatter backed horses is there a way to know if your channel is too narrow can can it be too wide what's your what's your thoughts on that justin
7: um, so yes, the,
3: my short answer is yes, different horses certainly do de- need different
7: widths in the gullet, um, you know, the gullet channel, we'll use that interchangeably. Um, but generally it's better, you're better off to air on the larger side because all we're really talking about with the gullet there is to make sure that we've got adequate clearance of the horse's spine. So as long as we're not making contact with, you know, with the horse's spine, we're generally in good shape every once in a while, they can on, on a few saddles out there. It can be so wide that it's a little bit of overkill for like a narrower horse. You know, if you put it on a thoroughbred and you've got this really wide channel, it can kind of swallow up a horse's back a little bit and, and be uh, be not so hot. But um, really generally, we're making sure that we're not making any contact with the spine uh, as opposed to the other way around. So the little rule of thumb that I would, that I would recommend is, first off, if your gullet is any narrower than two inches, you're probably in pretty bad shape. You want to make sure you've got at least that much space. And if you really measure it out, two inches is not that much, Um, but it's just enough to clear you know, most horses' spines. And then the other thing, um, which happens on a lot of older saddles, uh, newer saddles don't have this problem as much, but as you look at the bottom, or I should should say the underside of your saddle, as the gullet moves back towards the cantle, in some older saddles, that gap will narrow out and it will go from, let's say, three inches wide in the middle of the saddle to almost only an inch wide at the very back. And huh. that can be a little bit dangerous, too, because you've got yeah. enough clearings in the front three quarters of the saddle and in the back of it. Now, over the lumbar area, you're kind of getting a little bit close to that spine. And that's not too fun.
2: That makes sense. Interesting. And I, yeah, I have an older saddle. And, you know, I always watch that with it because it's an oldie but goodie. I really like it. Like, I really like it. But I always watch it. Uh, and get a little nervous with that. So that makes total sense.
3: Okay, I think we got another question here. The consequences of riding with a girth too loose are pretty obvious, but can the girth can be too tight? Is that possible? Um, we'd love to hear the opinion. Depending on what what it is, um, this listener has got a bet riding on this question. So, uh, <laughs> Justin, nope. yeah, I don't know. You got to be careful here. But is it possible to over tighten oh, no. the girth? <laughs>
7: Uh, well let's see. I, I hope I hope the you know the faithful listener that wrote in is gonna be on the winning side of this. Um, so the answer is yes, a girth can be too tight, but I think the reality of the situation is that it would be pretty unlikely for a rider to really over tighten the girth, given that they're you know a conscious horse owner, you know, they're just sort of aware of what's going on. And the, the vast majority of girths nowadays have elastic in them. So between those two things. It's going to be pretty rare that someone's truly going to over tighten it. Um, in an extreme case, you you could over tighten it and you know uh, maybe in, impact the, the breathing, just like at the at the walk or at the trot, impact the breathing of the horse uh, because it would be so restrictive. Um, but I, I really don't think it's something that that is is a is a serious issue because I think most people are aware enough. Now, the the only other thing to mention is that if you find you have to tighten your girth. Just unbelievably tight to keep your saddle in place, or for it to prov- prov- um, uh, serve its function, then I would suggest you probably have something else going on and another problem that needs addressing. You know, maybe you've got a saddle fit problem, or maybe something else is going on that uh, that isn't right. But if you find yourself having to just wrench your girth really tight, please pause and figure out what, what the actual
3: mm-hmm. problem is. You probably no, don't. don't have a total saddle fit shoulder relief girth. That's the problem.
2: That's your problem.
3: <laughs> hey, that is, I, I like how you think.
2: <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. true.
3: Yeah, I know well, I've had I've had, a, I've had a few clients buy the buy the girth, and it's been it's been great for all the horses we've have it on. I've got mine, and uh, it's been awesome. So, um, I guess it's, it's a good answer. Good answer to the, to the <laughs> um, girth problem.
2: Well, I well, have I have a, well, I have a kind you. of a girth question, and it has to do with our total saddle fit shoulder relief girth because. Uh, I have to be honest, I brought in, um, which is, this is a great story. I have a 24-year-old mare who I rode Grand Prix, and she's been retired for two years. Uh, And uh, I needed a working student horse, so I thought, let me try and bring her back in and see if she's sound and and if she wants to go back to work a little bit. And I'm happy to report, she very much is happy. She trots up the hill every day. She's so excited. But, Justin, she's a little on the chunky side. I'm not going to lie. She's uh, fat. (laughs) <laughs> um and oh, I well it's in that Kentucky
3: bluegrass. It is. She's been very
2: and much enjoying her retirement. So I put on the girth that I had for her before. Um that it was not the total saddle fit shoulder relief girth. Uh this was just a normal fuzzy girth that she'd had forever when it was the same tack we'd used. But I will tell you she got a terrible rub. So I thought, well let me try my shoulder relief girth and the rub went away. So my question is why you know it works great. I've never put it on such a fat horse. Uh so my question is: why is the girth working so well on a fat horse?
7: Yeah. So <laughs> I would guess, well, first off, I should say that, you know, at twenty-four and retired, I think she's earned a few pounds lately. I right? agree.
2: <laughs> I, I totally
7: agree. Um, I totally agree. But so, you know, without seeing any pictures or anything, my my first guess is that as she's putting on weight, she's if you're taking a, if you're taking a very a traditional straight girth, like a regular girth, as as she's putting on weight, she's effectively sliding that girth kind of farther, farther forward, and pinching it in between her elbows and her barrel, and you know because it's, it's, it's the girth's always going to try to find that sort of um uh, the the lowest point around the horse's body because it's, it's sort of always going to creep to the easiest place to be. And it's always that lowest point. So as the horse puts on weight, it's going to want to find that gap behind the elbows and in, you know around the barrel. And what I think is probably happening is that right there is where she's getting um, rubs, where if you put a shoulder relief girth on, the center of the girth will still sit in that natural place where she's pushing at that lowest, that lowest uh, distance around her body. But the benefit is that the sides of the shoulder release girth cut back a couple inches. So the area where she would be getting rubbed is now, the girth is now moved away from those um, and and goes up her side in a more comfortable place.
2: That makes total sense. And and it really has has helped her a lot. So uh, we are, I will tell you she's getting trimmer and trimmer, but the girth has really made a big difference because um, the rub has really gone away. So uh, another plus for the girth that I had never, we hadn't tried it that way. So, So excellent. Well, Justin, as always, thank you so much for your time and coming on and answering our saddle fit questions. Uh, It's really important that we all know that to get our saddles fitted. And you're such a great resource. And we really thank you for all the time you give to us and the listeners. So, Justin, how do our listeners find you online?
7: Online, they can find us at totalsaddlefit.com. And we're on all the social media. So, facebook.com slash totalsaddlefit. Twitter.com slash total saddle fit, etc.
0: This tip was brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, the shoulder relief girth that Reese and
6: Philip both love. And here's why the saddle fit solution you have been waiting for is finally here. TotalSaddleFit.com is proud to introduce the shoulder relief girth. This strategically shaped girth actually moves the girth line of your saddle back over one inch, thereby freeing your horse's shoulders from the saddle. Traditional girths pull saddles up against a horse's shoulders and often over the top of the shoulders. The shoulder relief girths recessed ends allow for the billets to buckle into the girth farther back to give your horse unparalleled freedom of motion. We are so certain that your saddle will fit better and your horse will be more comfortable that for a limited time, we are offering a 30-day, 110% money-back guarantee. If you are not totally satisfied with your shoulder relief girth, send it back for a full refund plus 10% of the purchase price. Don't wait. Order now for the best saddle fit solution available.
0: At totalsaddlefit.com. Visit totalsaddlefit.com.
2: As always, Justin from Total Saddle Fit, he is so generous to us here at the show and answering all our saddle questions. And I really, really thank him because it is a huge part of what we do and um, actually a part that we don't all know that much about unless you get a real professional in. So we thank him for his time. And you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com.
3: You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank all of our sponsors for allowing us to put on a great show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com.
2: Well, everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back. And we're looking forward to reporting from the Pan Am Games next week. Talk to you soon.